Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Um, Good evening, Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your home this evening. Pastor, for several weeks we have been discussing the topic of prayer Can you catch us up to speed, especially for the individuals who have not had the opportunity to listen to previous episodes? Catch us up to speed, and then we'll jump into our questions for the night. Well, I think we've covered uh, fairly extensively uh, the matter of prayer. Uh, There's a lot more we could have done. Uh, We could have looked at uh, prayers in the Old Testament, prayers in the New Testament. That's a study in itself. But pretty much we've uh, we've established the idea that prayer is basically... Uh, uh, verbal communication between a person and God. Uh, we talked about things that hinder prayer because a lot of people are troubled by the fact that they think that uh, their prayers are not being answered. There might be reasons why your prayers are not being answered because your prayer doesn't mean it's going to be answered. There are certain conditionalities that God has set forth in His Word, and we dealt with seven of those that uh, the Bible says if you, these things are done, the Lord will not hear. And uh, last time we, we talked about the biblical pattern. Uh, for prayer. We looked at the Lord's Prayer and we saw really three basic elements to it. There's the invocation, uh, there are the petitions, and then there's also the doxology at the end. And we said that this is a a mental uh, pattern for the person to use when he's going to prayer. Many, many times you go to prayer and you're not too sure how to pray. But if you follow the pattern our Lord has set, you focus on God first, His kingdom, His will, and then you talk about your petitions for yourself, for others. And basically in your petition for yourselves, it's about provision, uh, it's about pardon, and it's about protection. And then, of course, you've got the marvelous doxology at the end. Then we talk about times of prayer. Uh, people worry about, the, should I be praying in the morning? Should I be praying in the evening? How many times of prayer? We, we showed you in the Bible there's a variety there. There's no set time to prayer. Perhaps it's the best time for you is the time that you're most alert and, 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 and awake. And then we talked about uh, the matter of um, posture. Uh, so many people get caught up with the mechanics. Should I be standing? Should I be sitting? You know, we looked at, again, in the Bible, there's a variety of things that the Bible teaches in that in that regard. Uh, so we, we kind of um, dealt with s- several of those matters. And then we talked about also... Um, um, the the matter of answered prayer, what the importance of faith and sincerity and those type of matters we dealt with. I hope it's been helpful. And we did mention some practical uh, tips as well. One, one that somebody told me that they never thought about uh, was the fact that when you pray and you got all these 
bad thoughts to come. Make those a matter of prayer. Said so I never thought about that. I, I worry so much that these thoughts are in my mind. Uh, and you know, you never know the significance of what you say sometimes. But I didn't think that was a big point. But they thought it was a tremendous point that, you know, I pray about that thing, whatever it is that is brought from the past, whatever, just deal with it. Um, but I hope that in the whole process we've been helpful to those who are trying to start a prayer life. And um, I hope that we can get people more into prayer. I know you've got a lot of practical information for throughout the evening. Before we get on the topic of prayer, Pastor, there's a number of questions that have come in from listeners. Uh, the first one, can you please explain Jeremiah 10, 23 to 25? And let me read those verses. Again, if you want to follow along in your own Bible, the reference is Jeremiah 10, 23 to 25. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. And verse 25, Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob, and devoured him, and consumed him, and have made his habitation desolate. I think the key to that, understanding that prayer that is mentioned here, is the last verse. Um, that this is Jeremiah speaking in regard to people who have tried to destroy Israel. So um, I think the best way to understand what is going on in this passage is that he's dealing in the context where Israel is um, being uh, devoured, they're being um, uh, persecuted, they're being destroyed, and that's the context of the prayer. But in verse uh, 23, he says, uh, he's pleading with the Lord, and he, he said it's not in man to... Um, to, to what what what's the expression there again, Nathan? Verse twenty three. To direct his ways. Uh, yeah, it's, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Yeah. Another version would say. Scroll down to verse twenty three. Here says it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Yeah, it's basically saying that man is incapable of uh, charting his path. And what he needs is God to guide his steps. So, in other words, man is inadequate, he's insufficient, and he must live a dependent life, and he must look to God for guidance in these matters and not totally depend upon his own wisdom and his own ways. And the next verse. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Yeah, the King James has judgment. I think that's where the confusion came. And uh, what Jeremiah is asking here is that God uh, exercise justice in dealing with him, rather than strictly deal with him, that he's angry with Israel. And, of course, he being part of the corporate body of Israel, he also shares in that anger and that wrath. He's asking God to deal with him on a just basis. Uh, and, if, you know, Jeremiah's a prophet. He himself has warned the Israelites not to go down into Egypt. He warned them to surrender to the Babylonians rather than fight the Babylonians. And they thought that Jeremiah was, was a traitor. I mean, you're telling us surrender to our enemies. And Jeremiah said, but that's what the Lord told me to tell you. So they conceive of him as being a traitor and treacherous, and therefore they, uh, he was slapped, he was put in a pit to, to die, 
and he was later rescued. And uh, But the point there is that Jeremiah is asking God to deal with him justly. He's been following the Lord. He's been uh, giving the people the message. He's been prophesying. And uh, he doesn't want to be lumped together with the Jews. But remember, being a Jew, he suffers the same consequences. He's asking God to deal with him on a just basis than in his wrath and his anger. And then the third, third verse, 25. Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not, and on the peoples that call not your name, for they have devoured Jacob. This is what you might call an imprecatory prayer, where he's uh, praying for God to take vengeance on the enemies of Israel. Is that biblical? Uh, uh, well, it's biblical in the point that the sense that Israel is God's people, and God has uh, they're not going to take vengeance themselves. They're asking God to take vengeance. And the Bible says what? Vengeance is what? It's mine. Yeah. So they're not taking it in their own hand. He's asking God to deal with the people who have brought upon Israel. And notice the, the word that I think might have confused him is the word families. Read it again, please. Uh, you want it in the King James? Yeah. Okay. The King James says, Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not in language. Right. The, the word families there is, I think, the problem. Uh, Jeremiah is not praying. He's praying upon the uh, wrath upon the nations and upon the peoples that are trying to destroy Israel. So it's not, it's not individual families. And I think that's where he might, might have gotten carried away. Should we be praying for God to, to um, destroy families? That's not what Jeremiah is teaching. That's why I said the context helps define what he's talking about. This is a nation that is suffering under wrath, and Jeremiah is praying that those nations and those peoples that are destroying Israel, that God deals with them. He's not talking dealing with individual families. So we, we can't pray this kind of a prayer because uh, we're not a theocracy. Mm-hmm. And we're not part of this whole matter. We can pray for God to justly deal with people who have offended us and leave vengeance to Him. But actually praying uh, this kind of a prayer uh, is a completely different situation. A question that has come in from a listener. Uh, Pastor, in many Old Testament prayers and examples in the Old Testament, the word we or the pronoun we is used such as we have sinned, should we be using that similar pronoun when we are praying today? Well, it depends. Uh, we uh, as a church, we as the members of a church could pray that concept, Father. You know, we, can, we want revival. Lord, we've gone away from you. We're not listening to you. We're living disobedient lives. We need to repent. We need to humble ourselves. That kind of prayer can come because we are part of a body of Christ. Well, we can't pray for that for Antigua. Because uh, that's a different thing altogether. Antigua is not a theocracy. It's not a, a nation chosen by God per se to uh, exclusively, like Israel was, a peculiar nation. That's why uh, Jeremiah and Nehemiah could pray that way. We, he, they identified with the nation, the, the nation. However, I would say to this, if a person was so burdened for his country, like you, an American mm-hmm. or, or an Antiguan burdened for his country, I can't. I don't see anything wrong in praying, we, Lord, we as a country. Uh, if they really have that deep, deep burden and identity, with, I, can, I can understand that. So it, that's why I said it depends. I can see church people praying for revival and say, Lord, we've sinned, we've gone away from you. We, I can see that. I can see a person who is like, if I'm a Barbadian. If I was so burdened for Barbadian, the situation that's now going on, we just had it, we just became a republic mm-hmm. and I understand it was almost a shameful display of this lady Rihanna with almost her braless and stuff I didn't hear I didn't see it because I don't have time for that kind of stuff but to them it was a, a sign of greatness a sign that we have now finally broken the yoke of the uh, the colonial, 
capitalism we know on our own but again um, it, it's how it was done and the display of it it was, it was a display of pride and arrogance and, and quite frankly there was no element of humility of, of tokenness to what God has done uh, in the nation but uh, if I became so burdened uh, for my nation uh, basically, I could see myself, if I reached that stage of identifying with them and the sin, I could see myself praying for our, our, my country and we, Lord, we've gone away from you, etc. Et I think most people know that um, the guy Wickham, who uh, recently wrote some article, um, wanted to know what, what God has to do with, basically with running of a nation, quite frankly. He's an idiot, I must tell you that. And um, I am surprised that nobody's responded to him because, he, and if you read the article, it's clear that he's trying to defend homosexuality, but I understand that he himself is involved in whatever. Uh, but he also is trying to defend other things that are clearly out of abortion. He's trying to defend the, uh, the, the, the idea that you shouldn't have capital punishment, that kind of thing. If you read the article, you see why he's saying what he's saying because the very things he's wanting to push are the very things the Bible condemns. So that's why he's attacking the Bible, attacking God. But I'm surprised that nobody's responded to him. I guess everybody realizes who he is, and therefore there's no need. And of course, our own PM um, in Barbados, everybody knows uh, her lifestyle, quite frankly, um, uh, deviant in terms of morality, etc., and that, that creates problems for her. But if I became so burdened, I saw the direction my country was going, and I, I got that kind of burden, I could see myself praying, we, Lord, or people of you know, we need to come back to you, et cetera. That's why I say it depends. It depends. I want to go back to the verses in Jeremiah. When you were talking about verse 23, you said that man needs God or that man can't self-sustain. What would you say to the person who is listening who says, I disagree with you, Pastor. Uh, in my college classes, in my university classes, even just from... Uh, public speakers that I listen to, man has advanced and man is doing great. Man is able to accomplish great things. We don't need God. God is just a construct as a crutch. Yeah, well, nobody denies that we've made tremendous progress in terms of development, uh, where we've made progress in the technology and IT and science, etc., where we've not made progress in the morality and spirituality, quite frankly. So there is uh, significant growth in those technical areas, but when it comes to our, our morality and our spirituality, there's nobody would, would, would argue that we are better off spiritually and morally than we were 50 years ago. It's very obvious to everybody. we got same-sex marriage now, we got homosexuality has become normalized, you got abortion, uh, Millions, I think, in America, I think it's 65 million people who have been slaughtered uh, through abortion since the uh, 1973, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's only America. If you take Africa, you take uh, Europe, which is far worse, you, you, you know, you can see the... So anybody can that make that kind of a claim. It depends on what they mean by progress. Progress in terms of science, yes, progress in terms of general knowledge, but when it comes to progress in terms of, uh, um, of, of uh, morality and spirituality, we have not grown in that. And it, we've become worse and worse, and we're getting worse and worse and worse and worse because science has now, in, in a real sense, enabled uh, our immorality. You've got the pill, You've got the morning after a pill that you can take now that can abort. You've got that. You, you're protected. You can you can now have the AIDS virus, and you can still believe you're going to live another 15 or 20 years. So that, that kind of um, technology is there that is, in a sense, advanced. But in a real sense as well, uh, having the scientific knowledge have allowed us to, to live uh, Don Juan lives 
and not looking at the consequences, etc. So, uh, yes, we've made progress, but we have certainly not grown when it comes to spirituality and women's come to morality. We have questions that are continuing to come in. The next question comes from Proverbs chapter 3. Pastor, can you please explain Proverbs 3, 1 through 8? Let me read those. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. In verse 8, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Well, I think this is a passage that most people are familiar with. uh, Solomon is speaking to uh, young men as a father would give counsel to uh, a young person and substantially what he's saying you know uh, when you live your life as a young person don't forget God's commandments live by God's word uh, he's saying that there's some benefits to it there's long life and then there's peace and tranquility that you're going to get and then he says don't forget forsake mercy and truth in other words uh, in all your uh, your young zeal and all your uh, sowing your white oats don't forget that truth is central and don't forget to show mercy and kindness to others uh, and, and then it goes on to say it, uh, about uh, don't lean on your own understanding I think that is something that young people tend to do they think that old people are old fogies they know better and uh, it's warning here that you don't, you can't direct your life by leaning upon your own comprehension your own understanding the thing is to acknowledge God uh, and that's to recognize God's providence and his sovereignty in every area of your life and in every in all thy ways and there are many many different things that we relate to our ways we got a way of dating we got a way of finances a way of going to school a way of education a way of choosing a career in all these areas he said acknowledge god um, and uh, bring god into the equation and he is going to direct your path because once you bring him into the equation you ask for direction leadership and you surrender to him in submission then he is going to uh, give you guidance in, in this in this kind of matter. Read the latter part of the verses, please. Yeah, verses 5 through 8 say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thee. Read the other us. part. No? Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Again, uh, very, very clear there that if you... Um, um, don't be wise beyond um, the scripture uh, in your own eyes and you think you know everything basically and uh, he's saying that um, you know uh, is, uh, verse number 8 um, uh, fear the Lord and, and worship him uh, he's calling you back to a reverential fear of God and bringing God into your life and keeping God into the equation uh, in terms of every aspect of your life. And he said it's going to be health uh, to your body, quite frankly, and health to you spiritually as well. Remember that the language that's used in the Old Testament is an, an, an analogy. So he's talking about this is going to help you to be not only healthy physically, but it's also going to help you in your spiritual life. And I think anybody who has followed the Lord and lived for the Lord for years will tell you that they've found this to be true. You know how much trouble I've kept myself out of, or should I say God has kept me from? I look at young people today, <laughs> and I put myself back when I was 16 or 17 and 18. If I didn't get saved, I got saved 
about mm. 16. If I didn't get Sable wrong that time, I just don't know where he would be. I don't know. I just know one thing. I'd be a pretty bad fella, I can tell you that. And being saved is what has put brakes on my life. And I can look back, I'm now in my 60s, and I can look back, it's a long time, from about 16 to 60, over 60 now. Had I not been saved, and had I not, the Lord not worked in my life, I could have been dead, I could have been diseased. Certainly, I would have messed up big time. And I just thank God that I came to know him at that point in time, and I tried to live within the ambits of his, his word and guidance and stood with him and worship him and brought him into my decisions. And today I can thank him for where I am. And, uh, but without him, I would have been down a dark path, a very, very dark path. And that's what, what Proverbs is saying, basically. Do you have a question? that you would like answered, we would love for you to call and be live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Pastor Murphy, we have a question from a listener in Antigua. They say, What is confession? My reason for asking is the following. If I am alone and sin or think that I have done something wrong, should I make an open confession to the congregation that I attend? Absolutely not. Uh, Confession, basically, is between you and God. If you've done something wrong, uh, you confess it to God. If you have done something wrong in relation to another person, it might be necessary for you to call that person and ask forgiveness and pardon because that person might be part of your crime. I'm using the word crime uh, facetiously, quite frankly. Uh, there's no need for you to take your dirty lending and, and spread it before the congregation. That's, that's not necessary to do that. Now, if you are caught in something that it becomes public, uh, there needs to be public confession. Uh, if it is something private, you keep it private. And you don't need to go to any priest to confess any any sin. Uh, you go directly to God to confess that sin. So uh, to answer your question, confession is a matter between you and God. If it is a, a private sin, if it is something that becomes public, it may be necessary uh, for you to do that. Remember James I said, confess your faults one to another. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with people who offended other people. Uh, it may be necessary to say, make a public uh, apology, say, listen, I was wrong about this, and uh, you people become aware of it, and I just want to set the record straight. Brother or sister, would you forgive me? Uh, I'm so sorry what I've done. I think that is right and proper. To take things that you've done secretly, and then to... All it does is it, it, it becomes a prurient detail that uh, almost pollutes people's mind. You know, Paul said there's some things that, that you shouldn't even mention, uh, because it is, it, it is so so evil and so wicked that it the, the mere thought of it and to share details, et cetera, et cetera, it doesn't help uh, at all. It just creates uh, uh, false ideas and imagination in people's mind. It doesn't help them in that regard. I would say to you, if your conscience bother you about a matter that you've done, and uh, you, you've done it with somebody or whatever it is, you might need to uh, get in contact with that person. But generally speaking, there's no need to uh, publicly confess something you've done secretly. That's between you and God. It doesn't help in any way. On the topic of prayer, Pastor, we didn't pursue a great detailed study of the Lord's our Lord's prayer life. But in general, are there any lessons that you would like us to take away from his life in respect to prayer? 
Well, you know, if you check the Old you know, Testament, you'll find out over 27 different times it says the Lord, the Lord offered a prayer. Uh, that, that might strike some people to be, because you don't get that idea, quite frankly. Uh, just a few things I think that are important. If you look at him and the way he conducted uh, let me just mention a few things. One of the things that strikes me is that he always wanted solitude. Uh, he would go up in a mountain and pray, get up early, and go apart to prayer. I think that 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 seemed to be a factor that I think we we need. The problem that we're living in a, in a city, and we don't have parks, we don't have private places we can go per se. But there's the beach, quite frankly, and there's nothing wrong in taking a vehicle driving down the beach, and nobody knows what what you know. Just be a a, 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 a place where people can see and not think you're doing something that is unethical. But uh, privacy to him and solitude seem to be one of the key things that you know, about his life. The other thing I um, I think that stra- stands out uh, in, his, in his that he always prayed to the Father. We've emphasized that again and again that uh, he himself in setting the pattern. Uh, we go to the Father. And you don't find a single prayer of His that's directed to any other person than the Father. Not even the Holy Spirit uh, is mentioned. Clearly, He would not have made prayer to angels or to Mary, uh, etc. But, but is that because He was the Son? Well, and so that was the only other person to speak to? if He was the Son and He set the pattern, He's an okay. example to us, but He also directed us how to pray. True. That's what I'm saying. It's not just that that was His practice, but it's also His directive that He gave to us. Uh, the other thing that strikes me about him is prayers were very short. Um, you, you're not given prayers that last an hour. The longest prayer of his is found in, in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer that he made. But generally speaking, you find that they're short, impromptu prayer using the occasion. Father, I thank you that you've, uh, you've, you've, um, you've closed the eyes of those that say they see and opened the eyes that say they don't see, those kind of things. He broke the bread and said, I, I, I thank you again. Very, very short prayers using the occasion. You might call it impromptu prayers, but not lengthy, long prayers. Now, of course, there are times when he spent all night in prayer, uh, the Bible tells us. But generally speaking, when you look at the pattern of his prayer, these are very, very specific impromptu prayers that are very, very short. The uh, the other thing is that uh, he, he prayed in times of crisis. Um, you check Gethsemane, for example, a time of crisis. You check also when the uh, he was being pursued to be killed. You'd find that he withdrew himself to prayer. And I think that is significant for us, that in, in the moment where we feel there's a major crisis, we seek the Lord in prayer. Uh, the other thing is that he seemed to pray aloud. When I say that, his prayers are recorded. And the only way that those prayers could be recorded if the other people heard him prayer. So I think it's important to understand that, uh, you know, if we can pray aloud, uh, we we not pray for other people to hear us, but I do feel that it helps with the concentration when you can yeah. pray aloud. And that's why I say getting away when you can, you know, if there's a mountain, you can go to somewhere and then you can really cry out to God. I think it would really help in focusing your prayer. Um, he also had, uh, as I mentioned, seasons of prayer, which would be like uh, all night prayer meeting. The other thing that strikes me is that early morning, early in the morning, seemed to, to be a, a key element in his prayer life. Now, that's a rebuke to me because I'm not a morning person, I'm a night person. But I wish I were a, a, uh, a morning person because I think those are, those are crucial hours. And then um, the other thing about him is that his prayer always seemed to center on God's will. His entire life, quite frankly, if you hear his prayers, and, uh, you know, his entire life, my meat and my drink is to do the will of him uh, that sent me. Um, I think that um, 
Well, the other thing is this. Whenever he had a very busy ministry and people occupied his time, you'll find, again, that he gets away from prayer. It's like, look, he has to recharge the battery because his battery has been... been and I think when our busyness, we think we don't... But that's when we need to get aside just to recharge again. I think that's another significant thing about, about him. Uh, those are nine or ten things that I can just take out of out of that um, out out of that prayer um, uh, out of his prayer life I'm sure there are other things but I think those are things that stand out for me when I look at his prayer life Pastor what do you think about praying to the Lord Lord help us with this Lord thank you for this food well I I don't remember um, I am how do I put that there's nothing wrong in asking the Lord Jesus to help you right there's nothing wrong in asking the Holy Spirit to help you. Uh, but the standard way is going to the Father. And you ask uh, the Spirit and the Son to direct you to prayer properly to the Father. So, so the Lord wrong. is Jesus Christ yes, and, yeah, yeah. and God is the Although Father. Although I find sometimes, uh, Nathan, I've heard people in my church, in our church, praying mm-hmm. at communion, and they confuse the Son with the Father. Father, thank you for dying for us. I mean... My blood almost boiled when I hear that because I'm saying that when the person is not thinking, and I mean that this is one time you should be thinking at the communion table what you're really saying, but it happens sometimes, uh, and I think we need to be very, very careful that we don't, um, you know, take prayer lightly, and prayer require, requires concentration. Prayer is work. Let me just tell you that it is really, really work. If you're going to keep your your focus, you're going to have to do that. But there's nothing wrong in asking the Father, this, this the Lord, to help you and the Spirit to help you. But again, uh, you want to pray to God directly. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to help you in your prayer. Always praying in the will of God because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God with groanings and utterings that cannot be mentioned. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp that has come in from the Southern Caribbean. Good night. I'm listening to your program while we're on the topic of confession. What do you make of this public confession on Facebook? Is it sincere? It's a fairly lengthy, maybe a full paragraph. I'll just read a little bit here. During my life, I've learned a lot. Not all grim grin teeth is a smile. Your past will haunt you at times. Love, live, laugh. Forgive if you want God to forgive you. Don't go to sleep angry. Love those that love you. Work hard. We don't control life. And more and more as times go along. I thank God for the opportunity to have life. It ain't I ain't perfect. I've been made a lot of mistakes, hurt a lot of people. It was colorful, but to those who saw good in me, thank you for being there at my deepest points in life. My real friends, I love you all. Thanks for bypassing my negatives, my shortcomings, so on and so forth. And that's more of a testimony than a prayer, so I don't have a problem with that. As a matter of fact, uh, I think it is good for people without giving the salient details and the uh, pure details uh, to to really uh, make those kind of statements. I, I think that I don't know who the person is, but if I knew the person and I knew their past and I knew some things that had done, uh, I think that would be good for me to see that they humbled themselves, they recognized they made some errors, and it's, that's just a silent scream to say, "Listen, uh, I've not always been good. 
and I've hurt a lot of people. Uh, I thank God that I'm forgiven, and thank you for forgiving me as well. I see nothing wrong with it. I think there needs to be more of that, quite frankly, without giving all these sordid details that would cause people to have um, evil thinking and evil thoughts, but nothing wrong in that. I think there's one young lady in our church who's thinking of doing a kind of a website of that nature, and I think she wants to give her testimony, and she you know, was asking, quite frankly, what, how detailed do I go? Well, you don't have to go into any detail. You, know, you just give a general idea of it. Uh, and uh, I think it can help a lot of people by making certain kind of uh, confessions. It's like, for example, um, you know, the problem of um, abuse, especially young women. I think one in, one in four Americans, women, have gone through sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. That only became known as one or two people became bold enough to come out and speak about it. Yeah. After that happened, it opened a box where people began to really talk about their pain and their anguish, and that helped a lot of people. And sometimes it just takes somebody who's willing to give a general synopsis of their life and make a general confession, whatever it is, to help other people to speak out, to give their testimony as well. It could have a tremendous impact without uh, being sorry. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. Another question that's come in. If God is already in control and already makes everything happen according to his will, why should we pray or petition him to change the way things are? Is praying against, is that praying against his will? Well, this is one of the, the areas that I think there's a, 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 um, a what you might call a, a ambiguity there. But one thing is very, very sure. God has a will that will be accomplished. His purpose will come to an end, uh, come to fruition. But along the way of fulfilling His purpose, there are things that prayer changes. For example, uh, God had decided that the Ninevites would be destroyed in 40 days. True. Right? 40 days. He is settled in His mind, He'll destroy you in 40 days. But as a result of repentance and fasting and turning to God, it didn't happen. So that shows you that clearly that when we respond to God with humility and we seek His help, uh, that it can change what God has determined. Now, God's overall will was to destroy uh, Assyria, and He did destroy Assyria ultimately. But it took another hundred years or so before He actually did it. But that prayer is what prevented God from destroying it immediately. For example, every one of us know that, and I, I know you're an American, America is headed to a course of destruction, there's no question mm-hmm. about that. What could change God and extend that is if God's people revive and and, and seek the Lord, etc. If that doesn't happen, you will be destroyed sooner rather than later. But the only thing that can save that nation right now is not the politicians. Uh, It is going to be either a revival where people turn to God and seek God in repentance and God restrains His hand. They still have to be dealt with because you can't kill 65 million innocent babies and not pay a penalty. So mm-hmm. it's going to come. But there has to be, there can be an interim period where God's people focus and intercede and God would withhold his hand and judgment and show mercy. So uh, clearly, when you go, the other guy, you remember the guy that prayed in his life was extended 15 years? Yeah. 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 I mean, the Lord said, uh, um, go home and fix your home because you're going to die. <laughs> and he repented with grace. And the Lord, okay, I'll give you 50 more years in your life. So it's very, very clear uh, from Scripture. Now, God, he will still die. Don't misunderstand me. He will stay. It's point no man wants to die. But his life is prolonged as a result of prayer. So even though God's ultimate will will be accomplished, he has factored in the prayer, the prayer element so that changes can be made along the way, either to extend or to delay. So it can be. So it's not contrary 
uh, to God's will that this be done. He's already factored the, the prayer element into this whole matter of how his will will be accomplished along with answering prayer. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. I know that's a question that many have had. Uh, along the lines of prayer, Pastor, what about prayer and revival? Is there a connection, and do you believe we can trace that through church history? Yeah, I, I believe that prayer and revival as Siamese twins, the two go together. I would challenge anybody to study uh, revival, and uh, it would be a discovery that every single revival that you can think about within church history involves some element of prayer. And uh, it is useful sometimes to study church history to see how vitally important uh, prayer was. I want to use at least four examples, if I may, uh, to explain to you that. Oh, the, the key verse here to this one, by the way, is Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. Second Chronicles 7.14 reads as follows. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now clearly there's a promise made to Israel when the temple was being dedicated and if they'll turn to the temple. But if my people, in the Old Testament economy, Israel was God's people. Because of Israel's unbelief, Israel has been set aside and the Gentiles have been grafted in, so we are his people. And the same principles pertain to his people today as it pertained then. The same requirements for revival hasn't changed because God hasn't changed. Those are the conditions. And those conditions are threefold. Humble yourself. There is far too much pride uh, in church, whether it be pride of talent, pride of ability, pride of building, pride of whatever. Uh, pride is goes before destruction. And remember that God dwells in two, heart, uh, in two places. He dwells in heavens and he dwells in the heart of the man that is humble. We need to humble ourselves, and I think that is, that's a given, that if we're going to have revival, we have to be broken over our condition that will humble us. The so then do we need to be praying that God will humble us? Well, we need to do both because he goes on to say, uh, and, and um, call my name humbly and, and pray and seek my face. That is a part of it, seeking mm -hmm. God's face. Uh, we were trying to, to seek him with greater level of intimacy to bring about revival so that the land may be healed. So it's not just about humbling ourselves and just asking God to humble us. It also involves the matter of we pursuing that to, to get to know him. But the more we get to see him, the less we, 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 we feel comfortable ourselves, the less pride we have because it's like the closer you get to the, the mirror, the more imperfections you see. As a yeah. matter of fact, um, I've seen some, even if you watch television, it comes so close to the guy's face. He looks so handsome yeah. when he's from distance, but when it zoom in, you didn't realize he had this scar, he had this mark. It's that kind of way when the more you get closer to God is then you begin to discover all these faults. You think so good about yourself and then you begin to realize it. you're not that good as you think. But those are the humble yourself, repent of the wicked ways and seek uh, God's face. And that is still true today. I think if God's people would do that, uh, we will come to the level of re revival. As long as we feel self-sufficient and we feel that we're okay, uh, we're better than somebody else, our church is stronger than some other churches, we're doing better than other churches or other believers, um, we are on the path uh, where, quite frankly, the coldness 
and indifference, and if we're not careful even to carnality and apostasy away from the Lord. But um, revival and prayer goes together. Uh, for example, let me share with you this uh, a revival that started in a place called Teshin Revival. It started in the 1700s. And this was a time when in Central uh, Europe, uh, the European country was divided into Catholic countries and Lutheran states, quite frankly. And generally speaking, whoever was the leader of the country, and if he was a Catholic, the nation embraced Catholicism, if it was a Lutheran, embraced uh, uh, Lutheranism. In a place called Cilicia, which is now a part of Poland, uh, the Catholic um, um, dynasty was trying to force the German pietists to become Catholics. And uh, what happened is that the pietist uh, children, not the parents, started holding large outdoor prayer meetings and, 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 and uh, song services. And as a result of that, uh, it came to the point where the the prayer and the, the songs and et cetera, et cetera, there was a great revival that started in in that in that in that particular place because children were praying just children were praying but then as the children were praying adults started praying as well so it became not only just the children praying but the adults praying uh they, then they started a, uh, a, ch a church called the jesus church uh in a village called Teschen. and uh, by the time it was over they had between five and ten thousand people part of the membership and as a result of that they brought up a, rev a revival in Teschen. And uh, they had to have services that were held in three different languages, the Czech language, the German language, and the Polish language. Um, the other thing is this, that this revival uh, became known to John Wesley and uh, Jonathan Edwards. And they took the same type of principles of prayer and carried it to America and carried it to um, England. And when you hear about the Great Awakening and the revivals in England, it was a result of following the same pattern that started in Chechen, quite frankly. It's just an amazing thing that children would start praying, and uh, that led to adults praying, which led to revival, and that part of the world set a flame that reached into America and into, into Europe. Um, most historians consider the what is called the transatlantic uh, awakening that started in Europe and the British Islands and North America to be the forerunner um, that this one that started in Tetchin was the forerunner of all these revivals. And remember how it started? It started with prayer. And it started because they were in a crisis. You've got the, the Catholic dynasty trying to push you to be, leave your uh, artistic German religion and become a Catholic. That forced the, the children to start praying and asking God for, for help or for deliverance. And as a result of that, that led to the Great Revival, which also took a flame and went to England, then went to America. But again, notice the key thing. It started with what? Prayer. With, with, with prayer. That is a very, very, very significant. Uh. Then in 1957, uh, America went through one of the Great Depressions. It was not as uh, a major one like the one you had, I think it was in 1939, you had the Great Depression, but it's quite similar. And millions of Americans found themselves out of jobs in the big cities. There was a gentleman by the name of Jeremiah Lampier. Uh, he was a lay missionary with the Dutch Reformed Church. And in 1957, he invited businessmen, rather than go to lunch, to come and meet in the Dutch Reformed Church and pray. 
uh, it started out with a few businessmen, and before you knew it, uh, others in different cities uh, beside New York, in Philadelphia and in, in uh, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, they started these businessmen started praying and praying and praying and praying. Uh, it was out of that that you had a great revival of meeting in, in, in America in 1958. Uh, but again, it started with just with businessmen, just rather than go to lunch. A- actually, they turned it into a lunch prayer time. So they would come and they would pray and then they would have lunch. But all they came to pray about was nothing else but revival. Bring mm-hmm. revival, bring revival. And they went from one city to the other city. And, and uh, that was a great revival. And then that revival started in 1958. Uh, it, it reached over to Britain. So from 1958 to 1961 in Britain, the, the Isles of Britain, that that started with the business started in England as well, and they had a revival. But it all started with the businessman, this, uh, this uh, Dutch reform uh, missionary, calling upon these, because they were in crisis. It was a depression, millions out of jobs, and people had given up hope. And he said, you know, let me... He went to the business. Let's, let's meet in prayer. That's how it started. A great revival, and then it went over to England. But again, again, the key element, uh, and they went further than that, by the way, because as a result of missionaries coming home from America, they carried it to Asia, they carried it to Africa. So it started in America, and then it spread from, Eng- from England. And then the missionaries spread it all over the world. But again, it started just with one man calling business people to come together. Let's pray. We're in a crisis. Let's give people hope. Let's pray for revival. That's how it started. See, prayer is so significant. Remember that prayer brings God into action. Quite frankly, and I think that is the problem that we we, we are so confident in ourselves and our abilities and our talents and what we can do, but. Prayer says to God, we can't do it. We just can't. No matter how what we, we can't, we need you. And that's where I think it activates God and brings God into the picture. And that's where revival, revival starts. Um, the Hebrides um, Islands off Scotland, uh, great revival started there as well. And it started with two sisters, a girl called Christine and Peggy Smith. Uh, these two sisters, it was so bad at that time, they started praying, and that led six to seven young men to go to a barn, and three nights a week, they prayed from 10 o'clock to 3 a.m. in the morning for five hours. Hmm. And they just keep praying and praying and praying. As a result of that prayer, a guy called Duncan Campbell came to the country, and at 9 o'clock when he first came, they asked him to just talk. It ended up being talking for two hours preaching for two hours. By the time he left this church, you had over 400 people on the outside. Uh, and then not only, but he, someone came up and said, you need to rush to the police station. He, and he asked the question, why do you need to rush? He said, there are over 400 down the police confessing their crimes. <laughs> <laughs> and the police don't know what to do with it. <laughs> you know? But I guess two ladies started, then five, seven young men got burdened, and they started praying for revival, and the Lord sent revival. It doesn't take much. That, that's our problem. We think we need the whole church. It doesn't mm-hmm. need the whole church, but it needs a burden, a uh, few people, who really sense that need and the burden to start it. And then if it starts, it doesn't start with the masses. And that's what we need to understand when it comes. It starts with two or three people uh, praying, and then that begins to affect, et cetera, et cetera. That's an important... uh, Then the other revival is the Cornwall Revival in in 1781. Um, It started as a result of having concerts of prayer were held in the evening, uh, from evening to midnight. 
And as a result of that, uh, you had the Great Cornwall revo- Revival. That resulted, by the way, in social changes in, in England, in, in political reform, and it was greatly responsible for the, the ending of the abolition of slavery. It was out of that Cornwall Revival. But again, it started with what? Times of coming to prayer, praying from evening until midnight. Uh, time prayer meeting and out of those prayer meetings is where you get the revival so those are four examples uh, from church history of uh, how important prayer is as an aspect to help stimulate and to bring about revival it puts God into the equation and when God is um, we, we turn to him for help uh, and we acknowledge our need and we are deficient and uh, and we have all these deficits in ourselves and we are not adequate uh, that humility leads God to begin to act uh, on our behalf. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live, interactive program. We are live as it is Tuesday evening, and we will be live for the next 40 minutes or so here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. You can call and ask your question live on the air, 268-462-7420. If you'd rather, you can WhatsApp or text your question, 1-268-782-1454. Or you can join us on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video link, and you can comment your question right there on your device while you listen to the program and watch behind the scenes. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 819 Pastor, a question that's come in from a listener. Is it wrong to beg God for something? Can you ask God to do something too many times and as a result make him mad? He said knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking, ask and keep on asking. So, I mean, if you check the Greek language, it's it's a continuous tense. So you don't just ask him once, you can ask him twice, three times, four times. Uh, Paul in the book of Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he had the thorn in the flesh, Paul didn't, wasn't content to ask once. He said, I come to the Lord three times. And after three times, the Lord said, no, I'm not going to remove it. But believe in me, if you're not answered within three times, Paul would have asked four times, five times, six times. So I don't think it's, that's called importunate prayer. If it is something within the will of God, and you are convinced it's within the will of God for you to have, there's nothing wrong in pursuing that with importunate, persistent prayer. Uh, you just keep asking uh, but make sure that what you're asking for in your judgment and in your evaluation, looking at Scripture and, and knowing, uh, you know, knowing, knowing from your own history, make sure that what you do want is within God's will. But there's nothing wrong in asking Him. Another question from a listener. What should I do, Pastor, if someone is praying aloud in a group, maybe on behalf of a congregation, but I don't agree with the things he's praying for on behalf of the group? Should I silently pray the opposite? That's a tough one. (laughs) I I, I don't think it's proper to interrupt him, uh, quite frankly. What I would do, if I felt he was really off course in in his prayer, uh, whatever thing, I would probably speak to him afterwards and say, listen, I, I, I just couldn't say amen to that, uh, to what you're saying, and, and, and give some reason. Don't, not, you know, give some reason why you think it was not a proper prayer. There's nothing wrong. He might think he's right. He might think that you know it's right and proper, but he may not be aware. There may be something that you know that he doesn't know, 
but it doesn't uh, it's not good for him to go on in this ignorance it is an ignorant part of, of that prayer and you could have enlightened him more uh, in how to pray that you can do that but uh, when somebody says praying you you know things that you can say amen to you can say amen to then you can't say amen to amen said I agree with that by the way yeah. <laughs> so if you can't say amen to it don't say amen to it but don't try to counteract the prayer uh, within that session because very obviously that it's almost a, a, a tussle between the two of you. You're praying one thing, you're praying the very opposite. It's more better to talk to him afterwards. Uh, if, and by the way, he's praying out of place and saying things, other people pick it up as well. Uh, but someone needs to speak to the person in that regard because you don't want to repeat the same matter again. It might uh, become um, embarrassing for him or for the church or somebody else. So what you can say amen to, say amen to, uh, but don't try to interrupt, unless it's really, really outlandish and really unscriptural that the person is doing, I think. That's the only condition I can think you could probably interrupt uh, in that matter. But generally speaking, um, see, you know things that people don't know sometimes. And and that's the and he might be praying a certain way that you 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 that might be so he he ain't got a clue what he's talking about, but again you're privy to information he's not, so he's praying in a certain way and I think it would be proper for you to put him right and and help it and do it in a nice way privately etc cetera, etc. Cetera. In relation to revival, which you were discussing before the station ID, I believe that we all desire revival. And we have a sense that it's needed, whether it be here in the Caribbean, whether it be in the United States, whether it be in Europe. Our world is in dire need of revival. Pastor, why do you think we don't have revival when there's such a need for it? Uh, I I have several things to say uh, on that matter. One, I think, really, is the the state of the church. I, I don't worry about the world. The world is always going to be the world. Evil, wicked, ungodly, corrupt, you just name it. Uh, my job is, uh, that's not my, I'm, I'm concerned about the, the church and what I think uh, goes on in the church. I think that one of the biggest problems, I can't, I don't have uh, um, definitive proof of it, but I really think that one of the things from reading, and uh, finding out certain things. I think that one of the big problems in the church is the incidence of pornography. I think that is eating out the heart of the church, should be very honest with you. And it's not just the young people, it's the old people. It's it's every every part of it. Once you get hooked on this thing, it it becomes an enslaving habit. And I think that, uh, I I say this in in our church uh, a few times, if we can see what God sees, we would understand why God doesn't work the way that we think He should work. Can you repeat that? No. If we if we can see what God sees, we would understand why God doesn't work the way we think He should work. Mm-hmm. And that's because God cannot bless a situation that He's aware that this is going on. Without repentance and brokenness, we're not going to get revival. And uh, and that is where if people are indulging and and you, the thing about pornography is that it is so private. Yeah. You can have it on your cell phone. You can be anywhere. It's not as though it's restricted to one particular area. And I, and that, I think the facility of, of having that available is the great temptation that is there. And it, it, it feeds it feeds the, 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 the mind. And, it, you know, I, I just think that's the, one of the biggest problems, I think, within the church, to be very honest with you. And the other thing is I don't think we really spend the time of prayer that we should. I was thinking Nathan, just tonight, quite frankly, that it might be wise for us when we start back our evening service to make some of those nights, nights of prayer. What I mean, 
rather than have a seven to nine service, we meet seven to nine, not every night, but some night just to, just all we do. We just pray. We just pray for revival, whatever it is. I think if we could get the church uh, praying more, zero in and asking God for revival and brokenness, it's not in vain that we do that, right? Yeah. But it's not going to happen without prayer. We must understand that. No revival is ever going to happen without prayer. And that means that we have to focus on God and ask God to help us in that regard. The other thing I think, uh, Nathan, um, that uh, comes to me from reading about a guy called Henry Moore, Morehouse, uh, one of the great British preachers that came to America, and a young minister, uh, great use of God, effective preacher, both in America and England. And he was conducting meetings in one church, and it became very clear that it was just dead. And it was not normal. It was not normal. And he realized that nothing was happening. And he went to God, and he asked God, why am I preaching without unction and without power? What has happened? Something has happened. He just knew something had happened. And he said when he was walking the street the next day, he saw this bulletin. And the bulletin said these words, Come and hear the most famous preacher England has ever produced. And the Lord said, That's the reason. That's the reason. And uh, I think what I'm saying to you, we make too much of man. That's my point. My point. We we are too much dependent on our abilities, and and we must remember that so many people that God use, uh, if they were living today in terms of the standard we expect, they would not be would not be used. We we focus on so many different things that are not there rather than just the spirituality. But I think this is very very significant. I myself have passed and see posters of when preachers are coming to Antigua. And I have almost bowed my head in shame to think, when I see what they're saying about these people, quite yeah. frankly. God is offended by that pride. Yeah. Uh, I don't like titles, Nathan. Uh, this might seem very strange. I don't like people call, call preachers doctors. Right? You would hardly ever find me do that unless it's like protocol somewhere else. But I don't like it because I think... I think to be called Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so, I, I, I find that offensive, to be honest with you. You're yeah. a pastor. Yeah. You don't need to be called doctor. Somebody, the only time I would ever do that sometimes, and I, I think I did it recently when I wrote some letter for somebody, and I thought it would have a greater significance by, say, Dr. Pastor Murphy, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Some people, that's for government, okay? Yeah. But when it comes to God's people... Why you this 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 past this uh you know doctor this and I I find that totally offensive to me. I don't know about other people, uh, but I think that elevating ourselves. Uh, why call yourself master? There's only one master, quite frankly. He said, "Let no man call you father." Quite frankly, <laughs> there's only one father. I put it in that same mold. Now, I know that it's not always wrong to call somebody that way. But I get a little bit concerned when um, it becomes obvious to me that that's the important thing to be called doctor or whatever it is. And I deliberately, uh, when I see that, I, I just, I don't like it. I just don't like it whatsoever. Pastor, we have Pastor Murphy to preach. The other thing for that, when you call a doctor, 
you're putting yourself under tremendous pressure. You know, people want to hear, you're a doctor of, of theology or a doctor of something. People want to hear something beyond the norm. Yeah. So you put a lot of pressure on yourself. So be simply called a, a pastor. What you need to be called is, I think that's a lot of pride in the church. I think there's a lot of pride about these titles, etc., etc., And I think God is offended that this is seen to be the main thing, right? Uh, I just think that's part of the reason why I think there's a restraint on revival as well. You mentioned pornography, and I want to go back to that sure. just for a second. Sure. It's not something that we like to discuss. It's not something that is discussed normally in our day and age. We try and oftentimes pretend that it's not there. It's not an issue. What advice do you have for the individual who says, Pastor, I'm struggling with it. How do I overcome it? I realize it's wrong, but it's got a grip on me. That probably deserves some great attention I can give right now to talk about how to break the habit. But I would I would say to you that if sewage is coming into the, your house, you've got to cut off the sewage. So the first thing I would say to a person, you've got to see where is it coming from. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got to cut it. And uh, if that is the computer that you find yourself, um, you may have to surrender that. Um, that might sound harsh to do, quite frankly. Or you may have to use it when somebody's wrong. But if once you have that privately, you know that's where you're going to hit. Uh, if you're not going to surrender the computer, you should make it available and use it in a place where there's a, some public movement because it helps to reduce the temptation to do it that way. But you can't uh, deal with sewage unless you cut it off. As long as it keeps flowing in, there's nothing you can do about that. You're going to have to cut off the sewage as far as that is concerned. Um, The other thing is, um, like any habit that you have, uh, it's going to take a while for you to deal with that in other words if you if you are going if you're watching pornography you're going to have to at least go through six weeks of not watching it to break the habit if you don't if you can't do that you come back to square one again that requires discipline so if you think you can do it for two weeks and then or a month and then you you take another shot at it again you've got to start back again see it's not going to break the habit unless you have a consistent six week which is the, the you know the bible's about 40 days i used to wonder why 40 days and then later on it's like i just came to the idea that um, this required um uh, 36 uh days which is about the same time but it requires uh, that amount of discipline to do that i would say that if you are not prepared to discipline yourself to break that habit um you're not you're not ever going to conquer it without the discipline of of going without for those amount of weeks. You must do that. So those are two things, quite frankly, that I can think of right off the bat: cutting off the sewage and dealing with it from the perspective of um, making it. Um, it's going to take you at least forty days um, before you can break, break the habit, uh, etc. And and the other one is, as I mentioned before, do whatever. If, if you're going to still use the instrument that's causing the problem. Commit yourself to use the instrument only when somebody else is there that can hold you. The other thing, oh, the other thing, is, Nathan, is to have a friend who hold you accountable. Okay, All right, that helps. Uh, if you have a person you can really, really trust, this is something private. I don't want it to be told, but it's between us. And if you've got that kind of a confidence, I want you to hold me accountable every week. You call me or every other day call me, check up on me, quite frankly, and ask me those probing questions. Nathan, did you go on the 
internet to do watch pornography, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, the other thing, of course, that would be a prayer partner. Mm. Who would be accountable there that you can he could pray for you to get deliverance in that matter? Is this just a problem that men face? Oh, no. Well, women... <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to say that, um, you know, but I, I if you watch... watch um, you watch people. I don't know if you watch people. You watch people eating sometimes. You watch people. I have seen, uh, with my own eyes, uh, lust from women like you see lust from men when another mm. woman passes. I've seen it actually the way they look, the way everything. I've said to myself, man, this is. You know why? That is, the lesbian lifestyle has become normalized. And there's a lot of that going on. It's not just a homosexual thing. And, and that leads. And a lot of uh, people who are into this um, pornography quite frankly, and a lot of people are into the, 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 the pornography is where a lot of this starts as well, right? So it's a combination of that. So it's not just a, a, a male problem. Uh, females as well um, are involved. I forgot the statistics. I, there, there's some way you can go, go on the source and get a statistic, what is proportion of men and women, etc., etc., and boys, and the age groups. That is all uh, statistically possible to find out exactly where the problem, where it lies. Where I think the, the thing that we have to try to nip it in the bud is the early age. The earlier you get into pornography, mm. the more dangerous it is. And that's why these people start you very out 9, 10, 11, and that's the danger of giving a child a, a, a phone, and you don't block the access because they are trying to capture the minds of your child. And when you, I, I might, this might strike people, the most promiscuous time in a child's life, a boy's life, is between nine and 14. You go back to your, your, your boyhood days and you'll see what I'm telling you is exactly right. We think it's when they're 20, that's not true. The primary school is where a lot of this, this, this nonsense begins to start and a lot of sexual activity starts in, is in the primary school. Uh, and, and if parents are not aware of that, and you're feeding that now by giving them a cell phone. You don't know what you're watching. Uh, and that's why I tell people, if I had a child at my age uh, this time, I'll give him a phone, but it's, call me and I call you. I want the pictures that he can take pictures and, and go on the internet. I don't want my child to have that, period. And I think parents are making them. And here's the problem why they're doing that, by the, they're keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Well, my, 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 uh, my schoolmates got this and they feel as, you know, but I think parents are making, I think there are, uh, complicit in getting the children into this kind of thing because they're not taking the proper steps to prevent it from happening. If you are uh, struggling with pornography or would like to hear more discussion on the topic, Pastor did two full episodes in the past on this topic. You can go to our website, Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large picture that you see. It's a picture of a microphone right in the middle. And right in the middle, you're going to see a circle that says podcast. Click on that circle and then you click on the archive for That's Truth podcast and search for episode number 20. Six and 27, and both of those are dedicated to the topic of pornography. Pastor Murphy, we have Codrington on the phone. Codrington, and he's not there anymore. Codrington, if you want to call back, we will put you on the air. I apologize for it being a little bit of a wait for you while you were waiting to call. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 837 Pastor, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to mention as to why uh, revival is w- waiting? 
I think I, uh, there may be other things, but those are the things that come to mind, especially the one I was just reading about the, um, you know, the Moorhead. I, I thought that's a very significant one because I tell you, Nathan, I've seen advertising here when they're having revivals, when they're having, and the things they say about these men, the way they elevate these men and beef up these men and lavish all this. I, or women. I, all women. I'm totally embarrassed to see it. I'm saying to myself, but if I was if I was God looking down from heaven, I'm seeing this this big up all these this kind of thing. I, I I would be offended, quite frankly, and I think that people made a massive mistake in doing that. A another question that has come in: Will God listen to a prayer request that I make for my children, even if they are not saved? Yeah, you're a parent, uh, and I think as a parent, uh, certainly, if you pray to God. Remember, look, the Lord uh, said, look, suffer the children to come unto me and forbid them not. The disciples are saying when the children want to come, parents bring the children to, for Jesus to bless. The children, you know, the master's too busy to have time for that. And the Lord rebuked them and said, look, bring the children. He wants to bless. And so there's nothing wrong in you praying for your children. I, I hope you pray for your children. Uh, and um, so, and he, and remember, your, your prayers are going to be answered at some point in time. And we talked about the four ways it was answered. Yes. Codrington, thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please, quickly. Okay, thanks. Um, I want to ask this question. It's, it's meaning like, um, you remember when um, God placed the sword in the Garden of Eden? Uh-huh. And when they um, picked the tree, the food, In the Garden of Eden, after uh, Adam and Eve had sinned, um, they were forbidden to eat the, the Tree of Life. And to guard the Tree of Life, a cherubim was put there with a sword guarding the Tree of Life so that man in his sin would not live forever. Uh, uh, so that is clear. In the case of uh, where our Lord was um, going to be dedicated, I think at eight days, where his mother had taken him, Simeon was there, etc., and she was told that a sword to pierce her heart. What that really means is that her son would die a terrible death and she would have to see the agony of her son's death. So it has nothing to do... The, the word sword um, is used there uh, in uh, Matthew uh, or Luke uh, as, a, as a symbol, a symbol of a sword of that which would, would, would cause you great harm and, and great pain. 
and his death, she, he was actually saying to her that uh, your son is going to die and you're going to witness your son's death and there's going to be great pain looking upon him. Remember that she watched to see her son's death and remember that when he was crucified, he was not crucified with his full clothing, crucified naked, mm-hmm. quite frankly. It's the embarrassment of seeing your mother, seeing your shame, quite frankly. Um, and that, any mom that saw the crucifixion of our Lord and, the, and saw the, the atrocities that were committed against him, uh, she'd be greatly pained and greatly anguished. And that's what he's talking about, that uh, her son would cause, his death would cause great pain to her, to witness the death of his son. That's what it means. Okay. Uh, next week, I'll uh, call back on the same topic, okay? Yeah, but I, I uh, okay, okay, my brother. Uh, uh, but we're going to be different, but the next week I'll call back. Okay. Thank thanks you very much. Yeah, thanks for your call, Codrington. We appreciate you listening. Keep listening to the lighthouse. Keep encouraging others to listen and keep Jesus Christ in number one in your mind. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on eleven sixty AM ninety two point three FM and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. The name of the program is That's Truth. It is a live interactive program. It takes place every Tuesday evening here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're listening to the rebroadcast on Saturday afternoon, welcome. And we are glad that you are listening, if at all possible. Tune in next Tuesday and send in your questions via WhatsApp or text message so we can answer them. You can WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. Or you can call and be put live on the air, as Codrington just did. And the phone number to call is 268-462-7420. Pastor, we've got about 15 minutes left in this particular episode of that's truth as we talk about prayer you know it's it's great to talk about prayer uh, but i don't want us just to uh, recently i've been listening to pilgrim's progress and there was a character there was talkative that reminded me of some people that i've met in my life that just theorize and talk a lot mm-hmm. but what about some practical advice that you have to encourage us to inspire us in order to start a prayer life or take our prayer life to the next level what I would say to you uh, Nathan is that the older I get the more more I'm aware of how little time I've spent in prayer Hmm. in comparison it burdens me greatly that I look at my life 26 something years and I ask what part of that life have I really devoted to prayer and uh, I was looking at some statistics and uh, it really is very provocative. For example, we spend 20 years sleeping. If you live to be 70, you spend 20 years sleeping. Wow. Okay. If you are, live to be 70, you spend 20 years working because you work eight hours a day, quite frankly. Um, you spend six years eating if you live 70 years. You spend seven years playing games, whatever it is. You spend five years dressing. You spend one year on the telephone. If you live, you spend, well, it depends. If it's a woman, it's a lot different. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You spend two two and a half years in bed if you live to be 70 years. You spend three years waiting on somebody, and you spend two and a half years on doing other things. Now, 
this is a person who took the time element, quite frankly, and worked that out. That's stunning, quite frankly. And if you are lived to be 70, you ask yourself, how many years did you spend in prayer? Hmm. That's staggering, to be very honest with you. To think that you spend 20 years in prayer, in uh, sleeping and 20 years in working, how much, how many years you spend. That's where I'm talking about it. It, it, it really makes you think more that really, in truth and fact, you've done a lot of things, but one of the areas that your greatest... Um, Failure is in not spending as much time in prayer as you should. I think that is generally true of most people, to be very mm -hmm. honest with you. But you only see it in that stark relief when you do a comparison like this to ask yourself, how many of your 70 years did you ever spend in prayer when you take the amount of time you spend in prayer? It's staggering when you do that. And I think if anybody is going to uh, really make their time worthwhile and productive, you probably the best thing you could ever do is to invest it in prayer because it has tremendous dividends not only in this life but in life to come quite frankly and I want to suggest a few things for people who are saying you know I want to start out I want to uh, you know I want to do it the first thing I would say to that person is settling your heart and your mind that prayer must be a priority get that straight in your mind if you if it's second or third or fourth uh, you're not going to have a serious attitude to it. The disciples said, we'll give ourselves to prayer and to the study of the Word. When all the Acts chapter 6, when they're having the matter of the Christian Jews and the Hebrew Jews, it was a social welfare program, and they were going to be distracted because there was so much confusion. They said, listen, you choose seven people, but we will give ourselves to Word and to prayer. They made that a priority. And I'm saying to a person who's really, really concerned about the deficiency in their own life and their prayer life to say, listen, you got to make this a priority. So prioritize it and put it on, on the list as a priority. Uh, second thing I would say to you, designate a time and a place for prayer. A time and a place. It's like an appointment you have with the PM or an appointment you have with the, the, the king or the queen or whoever you regard to be uh, some outstanding person. So uh, designate a time and a place. I would spend time. Now think this thing through because if you're rushing to do something like this and the time and the place that you're thinking is something is going to create interruptions there, you, you, you're going to find yourself in problems. So really think this one through. Give some the time and place. Number two, devise a way if you are going to start praying on mornings, devise a way of getting up and something to awaken you. You might need to get an alarm clock, whatever it is. But once the alarm clock goes off, get up. Don't wait and say five more minutes and to get up. Discipline yourself that once the alarm clock goes off, I am going to get up and I'm going to spend some time in prayer. It may not be an alarm clock, maybe another thing you use, but you're going to have some way of um, to awaken you if you're going to do it when you do it at night after everybody gone to sleep or maybe get up at nights when everybody's sleeping you want to spend some time or get up early in the morning if you want that kind of a private time again it, you must have some means if you're going to do it consistent of getting you up so I would say that's an important thing um, when you do get up uh, freshen up and I mean that splash some water in your face or something but uh, you know you can get out of bed and just go upstairs or whatever it is and then you, you, you're snoring again yeah. so just freshen up again get yourself uh, freshen up whatever it takes to freshen up if it means taking a cup of coffee if it means washing your face brushing your teeth whatever, do something to, to get you alert uh, that has to, to work and then if possible before you start to go to this time do a little Bible reading 
uh, read scripture. You might want to get a concordance if you're praying and go through the prayers of the Bible or something. You might want to do that as part of the whole thing. But I, I think reading the Bible uh, would encourage you great in this ma- in this matter. The other thing is um, create a, some kind of a prayer list. Uh, that you, what you're going to pray about. You don't want to spend 20 minutes. And you don't even know what you're praying about. Uh, and that's where people get discouraged. I don't know what to pray about, and I, I stand and I can't think. So if you've got a prayer list that you know you're going to pray about, you know, whatever it is, for this day, that day, whatever it is, you've got something immediate you can start with, okay? So I think that's important to have a prayer list. Um, it might be necessary, it might be helpful as well, that when you're doing your Bible study, Bible reading, there might be some times where you need to rehearse truth uh, in your mind. And when I say rehearse truth, uh, call to mind Bible promises about prayer. Call to mind who you are in Christ. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. I'm adopted into God's family. I'm God's child, quite frankly. Uh, I'm justified. Uh, you know, you have to affirm, try to affirm who you are. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves who we are. Every time in the Bible, I want to. I don't want you to be ignorant, brother. And then you repeat something and keep repeating it because we tend to forget and we get our minds get clouded as who we are before God. But I think it helps to reassert our identity in Christ and who we are. And that helps us when we're going uh, to God to prayer. Um, the other thing you can do is to. Uh, focus on the biblical pattern that our Lord has given to us if along with your prayer list so when you're starting off in prayer we already know what you do you start with God first and you adore God first that's the first thing you do and then you come when you come down to your petitions you're praying for three basic things you're praying for provision and that leads to a lot of things provision for job provision for your family provision for your children uh, provision you're praying also also for pardon and that has to do now you start looking at sin that I need pardon I need forgiveness or what, and then you're talking for protection uh, you know protection from the trials of life the testing of life but also protection from the enemy uh, I think that that kind of way that sets a, a pattern the other thing that would, might be helpful is an, I, I mentioned this before an accountability partner if you're now starting out you want somebody that you can say to you, I want you to check up on me because I've tried this before. It worked for two weeks, and then I gave up. I want you to consistently, if it is every day, call me, or every other day, call me, but ask me that I pray, that I spend that time in prayer. I think that helps a lot if somebody is helping you in the process. Until the six weeks is over, then that may be not necessary, but you might need at this point in time somebody to be on your case. Well, you know, you should have done it. Do it now. You didn't do it. Do it now. Uh, you asked me to do this. I'm going to hound you because prayer is important in that regard. Um, the other thing is, it might be that when you're praying as well, <clears throat> if it possible, pray aloud. We, we mentioned that before. Voice your prayer. Uh, you will discover how that really, really helps for you to concentrate. Uh, if you can say a prayer aloud that would really 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 help you so there are times when you might want to in your prayer and your praying you might want to sing a song you might want to write a song to the Lord you might want to write a poem to the Lord as an expression of what has come out of that that, that particular time if you're gifted and you're creative that may be one of the most creative times in your life in terms of writing songs and writing poems etc but that would add a, a dimension to it as well and then one thing that's helpful is to remember that there are basically five forms of prayer. 
there is adoration where you spend time beefing up God and lavishing praise for Him. There is petition where you're making petition for yourself and for others. There's intercession. That's a little bit different. This is now where there's a particular thing you're interceding on the behalf of somebody or a family member. And then there is also the matter of thanksgiving and confession. Those are the five different forms of adoration, petition, intercession, confession, and thanksgiving. Those are the five basic elements of of, of prayer that are possible. Um, Last thing is this. It is going to require something called discipline. Could you read for me 1 Timothy 4, 7? 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7 says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Yeah, I think the, the, the word there is exercise yourself unto godliness. The word there is basically, uh, the, the word gymnastics. And it has yeah, the same way that gymnasts would, would spend time daily. Some of these by the people they will spend eight hours a day either swimming or I, I was shocked when I discovered that. And, and It's five days a week or even six days a week because they mm-hmm. want to do what? They go into the Olympics they want to be number one and they know they can only be number one if they discipline themselves day by day to do this thing consistently. And I'm saying to the person who is wanting to start that that prayer, your prayer life will never become normal Unless you go through this six weeks process and uh, and and have your your life transformed, but that consistency, that but that discipline is is uh, uh, is necessary essential initially before that pattern becomes and develops. So that's why the D word is important if you're going to have this happen. That's why it's important to have a a person who will hold you accountable. And uh, the last thing is this. It might encourage you, if you can get a, a prayer partner, that the two of you covenant together, that we will call each other at this particular time. You know, you've got this cell, you can message, you don't have to wake up anybody these days. But we, I need you to encourage me, I, I, and you, I need to encourage you. Let the two of us pledge before God that we're going to spend this time uh, in prayer on a regular basis, daily, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, I think that would be, I mean, those are some very practical tips that I think are very, very helpful for a person who really is serious about getting into a really important prayer life, and I hope that it helps people in that regard. A question that's come in, how do people pray for an hour or longer? It seems impossible to have a one-sided conversation for that long. Well, some people interrupt it by prayer, read the Bible, prayer, read the Bible. Uh, all night prayer meetings, by the way, is not everybody, pr- you, you pray right through the night. There are times when you, 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 you pray, you take a break, you take a rest, you might take a little snack, you go back to prayer, you might have the, 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 the congregation might just read, everybody might read a, a passive scripture or a chapter, etc., uh, etc. Et then you might get a testimony, somebody gave a testimony. So even though it's an all night prayer meeting, it is interrupted periodically for, so that you, because your concentration lapses. If you are kneeling on your knees for an hour, you probably will fall asleep unless there's something to interrupt you to change that. So the physical uh, condition the person has to change. Is it better to pray out loud or silently? And if I pray out loud and Satan hears my prayer, will he use my prayer request against me? I, I mentioned that before. Uh, I think that's a question that was asked. Uh, I think that if you check the scriptures, uh, even our Lord, He prayed out aloud, and I do feel that it helps 
in that uh, that regard. Um, the other thing is this: I don't know that anything you would say uh, in prayer, the devil doesn't know about you because he's been monitoring you for the time you were born, and he has six thousand years of knowing human nature. So I really wouldn't worry about that. And besides, if if the, if that is uh, something that he's going to try to counteract, God also knows that. So God, you put God in a position where God can counteract him at the same time. So if you're afraid that he will hear and he will do, God is also aware that he is part of the picture, so God can interrupt that 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 situation. So but I do think that. It's helpful. I find that if I pray and I can hear and I'm conscious what I'm saying, I am more alert. Yeah. I find that my mind tends to wonder when I'm trying to pray in secret and I'm saying under my voice. I find that it, it, I don't know about other people, but it wanes with me. So I find it more helpful. And you don't have to pray aloud that the, the whole village can hear you, etc., <laughs> uh, etc. Et you could be praying upstairs in your home aloud uh, that you are hearing yourself, but nobody downstairs is hearing you, yeah. right? So I'm not talking about. Uh, putting a microphone on broadcasting. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about helping yourself to m- maintain your consciousness while you're praying and not lapsing into bouts of um, uh, sleep, sleeping, etc. I think that's what I'm talking about. No, the same is true for me, even for scripture reading. I'm more apt to let my mind wonder if I'm just reading in my mind, but if I'm reading out loud, concentration is more there. Yeah. One thing, now you mentioned, I might say something here. Uh, I am becoming inclined, Nathan. There's a, uh, you know, you've got the, the, it's now recorded, the scripture reading. Yeah. Scroggy, there's a guy called Scroggy. Yeah. I'm inclined to listen now because I find that I can listen. And as you said, as you get older, you tend to drift off in that mm-hmm. matter. So I find that it's another avenue that you can use. To I never said I was getting older. <laughs> <laughs> I am getting older. <laughs> no, we are all getting older. <laughs> And Pastor, thank you for sharing this information on prayer. It's been a very practical study, very helpful study over the last, I believe this may have been the sixth week. And if you missed previous episodes, you can listen to them on the That's Truth podcast archive. Time Across Eastern Caribbean is 9 p.m. on this Tuesday evening. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.